welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into the big show, Soccer Morning, here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Just ahead of your big weekend of soccer, chalk filled with soccer. There's preseason soccer, there's a real soccer, there's fake soccer, there's third place soccer, there's uh, probably some youth soccer happening around the country, I would imagine. That's not really going to be my thing, but maybe that's what you've got going on with your weekend. Maybe you're out tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock because there's a kids, your kids playing in soccer. Yeah, soccer. That's what we're here to talk about. Big show for you today, Christian Hanej. We'll join us to talk about some uh, Premier League transfer rumors and also his in-depth look at the signing of Andrea Pirlo by NYCFC and exactly how does Mr. Pirlo fit into the NYCFC midfield? Does he at all? Is it possible? Can you actually fit that key into that lock and have it do anything that actually is good as opposed to things that might be bad? Andrea Pirlo has arrived in New York City. We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's do the headlines, though, ahead of Christian Inez joining us at 9.10 a.m. Eastern. First up, Visa has called for FIFA reform. If you were wondering when the sponsors would step up, they have started to do so. Coca-Cola has called for FIFA to make some reforms and asked for an independent review of the organization. Now, Visa is getting involved. Visa has said... We view the stewardship of our company, our brands, and our clients with the utmost importance and try to hold ourselves to the highest standards. We seek to partner with those who think and act like us. I don't believe that FIFA is living up to these standards. Now, they have, again, Visa alongside Coca-Cola has called for that independent body to, you know, uh, reform FIFA. He was also uh, Mr. Scharf. Charles Scharf, the Visa CEO, excuse me, has also said he does not believe that FIFA reform can happen while Sepp Blatter is in charge. Remember, Sepp Blatter set to be voted out as FIFA president, replaced as FIFA president come February. So we remained on pins and needles until that time. I'd still like to see these sponsors be a little bit more forceful uh, with their calls for reform, but the world of business and, uh, and and marketing, you take what you can get, I suppose. Everyone, and I, by that I mean everyone in England, is reporting that the split between Ronaldo and Rafa Benitez could lead to the Portuguese star returning to Manchester United. I'm looking at the, the uh, rumor pages over at uh, several different English sites, and they're all listing uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's um, beef, I suppose, with Rafa Benitez as a reason to believe that he may end up back in Manchester United Red. There are signs that Portugal forward Ronaldo does not see eye-to-eye with new Real Madrid coach Rafael, Rafael Benitez and criticized one of the former Liverpool manager's training drills. Does this leave open a crack for United to get Ronaldo back? I don't know. They'd have to spend a lot of money. It's certainly uh, certainly something worth watching. Perhaps we'll ask Christian Hinej what he makes of all of those particular rumors. CONCACAF is reviewing the incidents from the Mexico-Panama Gold Cup semifinal. Of course, Mark Geiger in the center of that. Uh, the Panama behavior, the Mexico fan behavior, all of those should be up for review uh, by CONCACAF in light of what was just a, an abomination of a soccer match. CONCACAF is investigating the events that took place t- during and after Mexico's controversial 2-1 extra time win against Panama in Wednesday's Gold Cup semifinal. 
After the final whistle, a number of Panamanian players charged at the referee with images appearing to show defender and Angel and sorry, Angel Patrick kicking out at Geiger. The Panama team was also shown in photos circulated on social media displaying a banner reading CONCACAF thieves with the word corrupt rep- repeated on each of the banner's three sections. It didn't say thieves. It said it in Spanish, but uh, you get the point. CONCACAF Disciplinary Committee is currently reviewing all information regarding the incidents that took place during and immediately following the 2015 Gold Cup semifinal between Panama and Mexico. CONCACAF said in a written statement, the committee will conduct an investigation according to CONCACAF statutes and 2015 Gold Cup regulations and determine whether any disciplinary action should be taken, etc., etc. Included here, a note that Pro Boss, uh, professional referees organization boss Peter Walton, has backed uh, Mark Geiger in light of his performance and the criticism of Mark Geiger in, uh, in in that game. One inconsistent performance does not make a referee a poor referee, said Walton via email. Geiger is a very good referee and has proved that on numerous occasions. Pro will fully support him and his standing with Pro has not been affected by this performance. So there you go. World Cup qualifying draw is happening tomorrow in St. Petersburg, Russia. You've got a couple of things. UEFA qualifying draw will happen. You've got Wales and Romania as top seeds in that draw with Italy in pot two. That's an interesting uh, an interesting happenstance here. Germany or Spain could be drawn with Italy. Wouldn't that make for some interesting qualifying games? FIFA has said that Armenia and Azerbaijan will be will again be separated in their draw because of uh, political reasons. We all know that politics can sometimes intrude on these uh, on these situations, and they'll uh, wisely keep those teams apart. NYCFC, I mentioned uh, mentioned this earlier, introducing Andrea Pirlo at a press conference yesterday. Andrea uh, Andrea Pirlo spoke in Italian through an interpreter. Said most of the things you would expect him to, stay, to say upon arrival. I came here to be a soccer player. That is my main objective. Objective, first and foremost, to do the best for my team and help my team win. If I can help him less in any way and grow, the, grow and develop, I will. But I was hired by New York City Football Club to play. And that is the first thing I have to do. He looked about as cool as you expected him to, expect him to look. Uh, the hair, the beard. His arms were crossed for the entire 30 or so minutes that he was sitting there. Uh, at the dais answering these questions from the gathered press. And there's a good write-up over at EmpireOfSoccer.com from our friend Dave Martinez. Money for me has never been an issue, said Pirlo, when talking about his salary. The most important thing is to play. Then, of course, when you show your qualities, it is only right that you earn the money you deserve. But I think soccer is one thing and money is another. I've never been the type of player to appear on the cover of magazines. I am not someone that cares too much for publicity. I'm not here to be a tourist, but to play. It is something that comes easy to me. It is something I enjoy doing, and I think I do well. So, uh, quotes from Andrea Pirlo after his introduction by NYCFC. It's possible he could play Sunday against Orlando at home. Jason Christ saying he is day-to-day Andrea Pirlo. Uh, Finally, Tim Howard uh, addressing the quote-unquote controversy i suppose over his return to the u.s men's national team i've got the audio here why don't i just play that you get a sense of what tim howard said on uh, uh uninter- uninterrupted is a platform i suppose uh that uh, athletes can use to explain themselves when media has twisted their words at least that's the way tim howard describes it unfortunately sometimes there are journalists who get lazy and um 
give the public and the fans half-truths and um, bits and pieces of the story. And so that's exactly what happened this week. Uh, it was reported that I made an announcement about coming back to the national team. I didn't make any such announcement. I did an interview with Everton TV, which is our in-house television uh, program and social media. Um, we talked about mainly our trip to Scotland coming up this week and how excited the team was to continue to prepare for preseason. Part of that interview, they asked me about um, my return to the national team, to which I said uh, exactly what I've said all along. I said it on Good Morning America a month ago. I've said for the last 12 months and um, almost exactly a year ago, U.S. Soccer and myself put out an announcement um, pertaining to exactly that. So I don't know if anything um, has changed at all in, in other people's opinion or views, but my, my view is the same. My plan was to always come back uh, and make myself available for selection uh, to Jurgen Klinsmann and, and see where we go from there. Um, you know, uh, other than that, uh, don't worry. I know all about Friedel and Lallis, and we'll get to those clowns in due time. Thank you all. There goes Tim Howard making a statement about his potential return to the U.S. men's national team. He said he's been consistent throughout the sabbatical period and nothing has changed. There was no quote-unquote announcement. Now, as for that tag at the end with Friedel and Lawless, it appears that at least one of those individuals, perhaps Lawless uh, specifically on Fox Soccer, and I, I guess Friedel as well, criticized the timing of Tim Howard's quote-unquote announcement about his return to the national team. Uh, so I don't know what he's going to do with those clowns, but it, uh, fascinating events unfolding inside uh, the U.S. men's national team fraternity. Let's take a break. When we come back, Christian and Edge will join us to talk about transfers, Pirlo, and have some fun on a Friday. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Soccer Morning World Soccer Talk dot com. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We roll on on a Friday. It's a good day. Talk to Christian Hanez. You can follow him on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. It's like a spelling bee every time I talk to you, Chris. <laughs> I blame my mother. Yeah, well, no, I, you know, hey, your family and everything else. It's great, though, to have you on um, to talk about we're going to talk about some Premier League transfer rumors in the market as it exists right now. We'll certainly touch on Andrea Pirlo, who has now landed in New York, and you've got a, 
an in-depth piece on how he fits in at NYCFC over at 442.com. Let me start with some of the, the more interesting rumors. Uh, I, I told you I'd start with Manchester United. That seems like a good place to go. There are a couple of things here. The big one, though, and, and I'm seeing it all over the place, and maybe it's just inside England that there's even this notion, Chris, but it's this thought that because Ronaldo might not get along with Rafa Benitez, Manchester United has a chance to swoop in and, and, and bring Ronaldo back to Old Trafford. Is, is there any truth to that at all? I would be very surprised if there is, um, because the difficulty is you're talking vast, vast amount of money, and vast amount even for Manchester United's kind of spending limits. They did spend a significant amount on Angel Di Maria, who it looks like is heading to France. But equally, you're, you're maybe even discussing breaking the £100 million barrier for this one. Um, I don't think Madrid are going to sell him for less than they bought him for, despite the fact that he, you know, he's, he's closer to 30 and, and more heavy. Because I think someone like Ronaldo is almost timeless. I, I don't see him hitting 30 and then starting to roll down the hill um, of his career. I think I'd be very surprised. I appreciate that you know Ed Woodward and, and people like that have, have done a great job in spending for Manchester United this summer. But equally, a good portion of the signings haven't been vast in terms of their price. I mean, Schneiderlin wasn't huge in the context of the biggest Premier League transfers. Even, you know, Man City have spent more than them on a single player. And I think that's the defining factor, is that it's a lot of money for a single player. Something that's uh, perhaps more realistic is their chase of of Pedro, um, the Barcelona forward. Uh, That that one, I imagine that they could get done. It's just a matter of locking in on the actual price. I, th- I think that is the, the only thing I could see perhaps inhibiting that deal is the fact that Barcelona obviously have this much publicized transfer ban where they can't register players. So in theory for them, it's almost better in their interest to keep their players until January so they've got the core of that squad. The concern I would have if I was a Man United fan is, it's very difficult to say this without getting reams and reams of criticism, I do think Pedro is a very good player. I do say that though also feeling that he's perhaps not the game changer that Manchester United are looking for. Um, and for that reason, I'd be a little bit concerned about investing that kind of money on him. With that said, though, he could prove me horrendously wrong. And I think if they're looking for uh, an industrious winger, I think he's certainly the, the ilk of player that you want. He also has tremendous experience, both internationally and at club level. So it, it makes a lot of sense on a, a number of fronts. No, they've they've had this. They've had a couple of high highly profi- uh, high profile. Well, one of them I would call failure, but they've had some some strikers leave. They've had some forwards who didn't work out. I mean, Falcao is the most recent obvious example. They've they've obviously they're, they're moving on from Van Persie, although I don't know where that stands at the moment. And and so the chase of of Pedro, as you said, maybe not a game changer, but certainly they they need to find somebody who can hit the ground running at United rather than have this this stop start. Is he going to play? Do they still believe in him? So you know, back and forth drama that's been following some of their forwards well exactly and i think you know that's what's interesting about uh damian is that van hall said that uh, valencia is the starting right back and you think well if you've signed a player you know upwards of 10 million i think pedro's going for about 17 to 22 if you go off the reports that are, are being written you want that kind of player to start so they can build an understanding and a continuity of the nuances of the premier league it's really difficult to do that when you're watching from the sidelines and so if they're just looking to find someone who isn't going to start, I'd question why you'd invest that much on Pedro. Surely you'd be better off either assessing what options you have in the 
the elite development squad or the academy, or maybe looking at someone who's going to have that kind of longer progression in terms of a, a slower trajectory that maybe can survive and, if anything, thrive off having five to ten games a season, a couple of sub-appearances, and that slower development um, in terms of their, their play. Uh, there are a couple of others. Like you can't see me right now, Chris. I'm wearing a uh, an Aston Villa shirt that I got five years ago or so. Does uh, it have Bradley 13 on the back? <laughs> no, no. And you know what? This predates Michael Bradley arriving at Aston Villa, to believe, to believe it or not. Um, but there have they've sold Fabian Delft. They've sold Christian Benteke. I, I see some some stories about Jordan Ayew coming in. What does what does Aston Villa, who you know uh, danced a little bit with the relegation zone last year, what do they do with that money that they've brought in through those sales? They really fix that spine um, because again they, they've also lost Ron Vlaar, who admitted he didn't play consistently. Was injured, at, uh, I think, about thirty percent of the time he was there in terms of games he was available for. But when he played, was an important figure for them, and also gave them leadership, uh, gave them experience at the back. And my concern would be is that who's going to fill that void? Now, if you imagine you've got that 32 and a half million uh, sitting in the bank, you also realistically need a striker in there as well, I think, to to replace what Benteke gave you. That could be Charlie Austin. That seems the go-to guy. There's, there's certainly a little bit of interest. The concern I would have if I'm Aston Villa buying Austin is that it seems to me he's just a goal scorer. Now, that might sound like a silly thing to say, but what I mean by that is his build-up play isn't necessarily there. What does he contribute in terms of outside of the goals? Is is he doing much off the ball? Because they had that with Darren Bent. They spent $24 million when they purchased him from Sunderland. And one of the biggest criticisms of him was he doesn't do anything outside of maybe score a goal. And they needed more from him in terms of bringing in other players and, and such things like that. So that would be my concern, is, is how much are you going to allocate from that money you've received to finding a defender and finding a striker and the thing is we're creeping up on august as well so you're getting into that final portion of the window so naturally prices are going to go up if clubs know you've got 32 million pounds sitting in your bank account they know that their prices can be moved up a couple of million perhaps mm-hmm. so that's the concern for villa is that yes they've got all this money to spend but they've now got to spend it wisely and that as we often see with teams in the, tr- the transfer window is very difficult to do uh, you know, I, I, I've been just I've been scanning some of the rumors here as we're talking. I obviously brought up Villa because I'm wearing the shirt and because I know they had some sales. But you know, so much of this is Manchester United. And and what's funny about the 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 rumor bill being about you know De Gea and uh, Sergio Ramos and Thomas Muller, and we know that they've signed Schweinsteiger. Um, there is also a lot of money in English English football that is. Uh, allowing clubs like down farther down the table and mid table and lower to to make some pretty significant signings. What did you what have you been surprised most about so far during this uh, silly season? And and really, is it a is it a rumor or an actual signing that's that that we should talk about here? Well, I think personally the the moves by Newcastle and West Ham United have, have surprised me considerably. I mean, Newcastle is more because of their parsimonious history and the fact that they've now spent close to thirty million on on two recognised internationals with Champions League experience and look like completing a third deal today, if not early tomorrow, for, for Chancellor Mbemba, the, the Anderlecht defender, which I think would push them close to £40 million spent. On the flip side of that, you then got West Ham, who were buying people like Dimitri Payet, who was fantastic in league last season, I think will add significant uh, assets to them in the final third, for less than they paid for Matt Jarvis, which... 
is an amazing thing when you consider it, but it's a consequence of this this TV money. It's it's given uh, the clubs a lot more capital to play with, and and they're doing it with also the added benefit of the fact that the pound is stronger than the euro, which, again, you know, these are the little things that perhaps we don't consider when we're playing football manager, but the truth is is that they do influence things. And I think you're seeing it right across the board, even Swansea with Ayu, um bringing in players like that, and, and Frank mm-hmm. Tabernu. The Premier League has, has had a real injection of, of talent, I think, from the mainland um and I think we're going to see that play out in the first few weeks and months of the season. Yeah, there's uh, there's some turnover happening. And and I guess, you know, there's always some hand-wringing inside of English football when it comes to the amount of foreign talent and this has been a talking point based on the development of 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 England uh, English youngsters. Where does that that discussion stand right now because the more money that comes into the Premier League from the television contracts the more likely it is we're going to see an influx of top international talent that will push some of those younger English players down the pecking order. Well, that's the concern, and that's the situation you have to manage, and it's it's long been a discussion in, in England, the, the fact that the you know the, the number of domestic players is, is shortening uh, seemingly year on year, and that is a concern. Realistically, you can't stop clubs spending on, on foreign talent in that way. All you can do is start to put them squad limits in, in terms of needing eight homegrown players, four trained at the club, etc., etc. The problem you have then is, is that some clubs will happily take the fine for that. They'd rather take, you know, the, the fine or the, the smaller squad if they can squeeze that extra exceptional foreign talent in there. And I think in, in truth, you, as we've discussed before, you need to start at the grassroots. You need to give them more opportunities. I think it's nice to see that, that City are bringing in the likes of uh, Barker to their, their pre-season. They're starting to send guys out to RKC in, in Holland. Um, and in general, you're seeing teams send players maybe to get that loan experience in other clubs. I believe Swansea sent a winger to Addo Den Haag. So they're finding routes into the game, just not necessarily at home, which is is difficult because on the one hand you think, well, I want to see them playing in the Premier League, but equally, as long as they're getting the, the football that they need and they're developing, that will probably do for the time being until a long-term solution can be uh, discovered. Well, I mean, is, is there one to discover? I mean, that's the question. I, th- I think there is. The, the problem comes in, it's going to start very much at the bottom, um, as, as often these things do. You have to improve the infrastructure, the level of coaching, the, the opportunities, even the, the facilities available to kids. You have to give kids more opportunities so they're training more, so they're playing more, so they're having fun more as well. I think that's the problem is that we've kind of slacked on that a little bit and, and where the world has caught up on England, it hasn't been able to progress itself. And so it's not a case of the standards have dropped, it's a case of the standards of those around them have significantly raised. It's certainly something to to watch. Um, by the way, what do you make of Stephen Gerrard saying St. George's is boring? St. George's Park, the training center. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've had the pleasure of being there, actually. It's, it is a beautiful place. I can see why he may find it a little bit uh, <laughs> mundane. There's there's not a huge amount of attractions. It is very much a hotel and football pitches. But like I say, it's absolutely state-of-the-art. And to a, a football geek like myself, I had immense fun kind of walking around and just noticing little things and seeing all the the kind of equipment they have and, and what have you. So, yeah, maybe to him it's it's boring. But if he's ever willing, I'm happy to, to take his place next time he's there. Yeah, here's the, here, <laughs> the easy reference is that there are no 
Uh, there are no nightclubs. There is no Phil Collins happening. It's a it's a thing. Uh, let's Chris just back to this transfer business uh, quickly. Let, let's talk about Liverpool because I'd like to get your assessment of the business that they did. Certainly, Benteke coming in is a is a big ad. What what did they do right in this transfer window, and how does it help them challenge for a Champions League spot in twenty fifteen sixteen? Well, I think they they bought difference makers. Um, the concern was with last season. I think they overpaid slightly based on players that were a little bit flavour of the month um, in terms of the likes of Lallana and, and Ricky Lambert. And I think in the case of Lambert, it was a good idea, but I don't think it had been really considered for long enough um, because really I don't think he was ever going to fit that style and work around those kind of fast, nippy attackers that they have in that final third. In the likes of Firmino, you have someone that does work with that and I think alongside Coutinho will work expertly. It's almost as if they've done the business they intended to do last summer, this summer, if that makes sense. And in Benteke, you've got someone who is that big, powerful holder man that I don't think Lambert really is, who can isolate a defender and then go past him. And that's that's the thing I think Lambert missed, is that yes, he can hold it up, he can play quite intelligently with the ball, but if you put him in the channels against the defender, is he going to go past him? Realistically, no, whereas... I'm pretty sure there was some kind of clip floating around social media this week of Benteke against Chris Smalling, and he absolutely hammers him. Um, It's a shoulder-to-shoulder, and it's no contest, and he breezes past him, and I think that's what they want. They want that kind of physicality in the final third to give them almost somewhere to to hold the ball, because I think a lot of the time last season, with Balotelli in particular, he's not really a hold-up striker, and too often his passes were either taking too long or they were to the, the wrong teammate. And I think in Benteke, you've got someone who understands the nuances of that position and consequently, I think, will will help them significantly in the final third. You said the magic words, Mario Balotelli. What, what's the situation with Mario Balotelli right now? In truth, I'm, I'm not sure. It seems as if uh, he's staying at the football club. The, the problem they had is I think they were trying to, to sell him for a good while, but really there wasn't any takers for the price they want because... He has kind of fit into that problem where he does blow hot and cold and perhaps he's a, a scorer of great goals rather than a great goal scorer. And we saw that at Milan, a lot of his goals were sensational. But how consistently was he doing it week in, week out? Much like Charlie Austin, what was he doing off the ball? How was he helping the team? And I think that's perhaps one of the key themes we've seen of this transfer window is it's also been about how does this player impact the team? What does he bring to the team that he's about to join? Um, and if you look across the Premier League, I think a lot of the teams that have done business have gone for team players as well as individual talent. That's interesting. And, and it's actually going to bring me to the last question about the market in England as it exists. But Balotelli, uh, Balotelli specifically, I, I think, man, it, you know, I just looked, I, I just pulled him up on, you know, just to look up at his age because I, I forgot. I, I, he's only 24. He turns 25 in, a, in about a week or a week and a half. That's it's st- <laughs> a little stunning. He feels like he's been around forever, Chris. Well, in, in many ways he has because you know he was this precocious teenager that broke through at, at Inter, and, and everyone thought you know Italy have another fantastic striking talent on their hands, but it hasn't quite developed in the way it should have, and I guess consequently because it seems like he's been around forever. In many ways he kind of has because yeah. you know his, his career is almost a, a decade old. Mm. That's that's something for him to to consider as well is that. You know, I often bring up the example of Hatton Ben Arthur is, you know, time waits for no man. Yeah, um, yeah. And you have to decide what you want your career to be because at the minute, yes, you have a Champions League title to your name. I would, if I was being cynical, I'd say you didn't really earn it. You were not as perhaps prevalent as other members of that squad. 
go out and earn one yourself that you played in, ideally that right. you scored in the final as well, and, and really show people that this this talent isn't something that you have to catch. It's something that you decide when to turn on. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is so. Uh, he pops up in those big moments, and we remember those moments. But as you said, it's it's, it's sort of skipping through time. Little uh, the stone hits the water only ever so often for Mario Balotelli. We'll see what happens there. Um, you talked about bringing in team players and looking for players who fit maybe into the squad um, rather than going for just the best individual talent. If that's a shift that's happening, that's obviously smart on the part of, of clubs. And it brings me to a question about the some of these names that we're hearing attached. Um, I don't want to say old players, but older players. I mean, when, when United is, is, uh, is bringing in Schweinsteiger and connected to Muller and uh, just... I don't know. It's it's a, it seems to be a little bit of a different market in England at this point. Cambiasso is still out there, and there's uh, there's rumors of him leaving Leicester and going somewhere else. There's a value to these players that that the teams are seeing um, that maybe they didn't before. I, I'm a little lost. I think there is. I mean, if you look at kind of the the revolution of the Premier League in the mid '90s, when the likes of Ruud Hullet, Gianluca Vialli came over, a lot of the the kind of selling point for them was, oh, they have this wealth of experience, and I think. Certainly, that can be huge. I mean, Schweinsteiger has won the Champions League, he's won the World Cup. He's he's been there and done it. And I think, in the case of Man United, if we take them as a, almost an isolated uh, case study, for them, when Sir Alex Ferguson left, I feel they also lost a little bit of a psychological edge. There wasn't maybe that kind of innate fear inside of, this is Man United, we need to make sure we don't make a single mistake, and they make a lot of them. Under Moyes, that wasn't really the case. It was... In fact, if anything, it was the the Emperor's New Clothes. The cloak was removed and everybody attacked them and they lost a lot of games. I think even under Van Hal, to a degree, they lost that a little bit, partly because the likes of Blackett and McNair were in defence and and it didn't seem as strong on paper, so teams felt confident in attacking them. When you bring in someone like Schweinsteiger, you bring almost an aura with him. And it's, like you say, that experience, it's similar to Cambiasso or Leicester. He brings that aura with him and... The, the players themselves, you will often find, raise their own levels and feel more confident in themselves. And I think if, if we look at soccer globally, confidence is such an important metric for players in terms of how they perform and how well they perform. A, a confident player you know, can, can look a world beater, whereas one that's shot of his confidence can struggle to do kick-ups. Yeah, you know, I, it's, it's, I threw in Muller. He's obviously 25. He doesn't, he, that name just, for what, some reason, forced its way in. But we know, 26 we, year old, I was worried. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, 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 didn't, I didn't really mean to throw him into the mix. It was about Schweinsteiger, really. And look, I mean, Sergio Ramos is 29, but he'll be 30 soon. And um, there, there are some other players in that 30 realm that are being chased with some pretty big, big money um, uh, transfer fees being bounced around, and I guess that's the that's more of it for me is that you know are you willing to spend a good amount of money on a, an accomplished player because of the experience and and uh, the confidence they have versus overpaying for a 22 year old who has come up through I don't know Liga or you know certainly some of the mid uh, table teams in Germany or, or Spain. It's. It, it, I'm not saying it's a gigantic shift necessarily, Chris, but there's certainly something to it. There, there is, and I think you know, you, you, referencing Muller there, even though he's 25, he can still be incredibly experienced and has won every everything available to him. So, from that sense, yes, you do want that experience, especially when you're trying to win things, um, because it helps to have members of your squad who've been there and done it, who know kind of what the feelings are like, perhaps what the younger members of the squad are going through who can be that leader and talk them through it and 
the truth is is that those kind of players are, are increasingly in short supplies as time goes on. So if you can find one, in, in the case of Manchester United have done, I think you have to take them because Manchester United have needed a leader in the middle of the park and I think for a long time you discussed, you know, they need a Roy Keane or a Patrick Vieira or someone to, to put tackles in. Yep. There are a number of ways to lead and I think Schweinsteiger proved that. Um, and for me, I think he'll, he'll be a very important signing for them. All right, let's turn to uh, MLS topics and, and specifically the arrival of Andrea Pirlo in New York. He uh, had his introductory press conference yesterday. He's trained. His hairs look fantastic. Uh, he's, done a, he's done a free kick clinic for the kids. Uh, it's, it's gone well so far. Um, it's been entirely in Italian, which is, is interesting and fun. Um, he, you know, he said all the right things at his press conference yesterday, Chris. The this, this stuff about being here to play, being here to win, not necessarily you know, being willing to help grow MLS, but that not being his, his first job. But it, it, when it comes to his first job, I think there is some some concern over how he fits in with everything Jason Christ has done so far at NYCFC. And you've got Frank Lampard, who you know conceivably is going to be healthy at some point. Of course, and I think you know if you look at the way they've lined up this season, it's often been a two-man midfield. So with that in mind, you think, well, okay, is it Lampard and Pirlo? In which case, there's not a lot of athleticism between the two of them because of their age. Um, I think it's a combined total of 73 between the two of them. <laughs> that means they could very easily be overrun, unless you're going to put incredibly athletic guys either side of them on the wing and expect them to do the running for, for kind of the entire midfield, which is a lot to ask. Now, there's been kind of tentative mentions of playing a, a 4-2-3-1. That is an option again, but I assume that you know, you're putting Discarud in there, who again is taking a healthy portion of that salary cap. He's not exactly known for being a runner either. If anything, I think his asset is being able to control the ball and, and you know pass the ball. So then you look at Poku, who admittedly is a big athletic guy, has tremendous pace, acceleration, a little bit naive on the, the tactical side of things, still needs to work on those assets. And equally, doesn't seem like he can go the full 90 yet. Can go perhaps about 75, 80, but after that, he really does start to struggle. So... It's going to be a really difficult test for Christ in terms of how he works this out. Now, I've seen some people say this is a long-term thing. It's a case of you know allowing Mix to grow into the team while Pirlo does things, and then he'll move into to Pirlo's position. But for me, I think that the problem New York City have had is that they needed to really hit the ground running with the Lampard thing, with all this kind of stuff that's kind of followed them around. They needed to win quickly. They need to make the playoffs in the first year. They need to make a run, and they need to really establish themselves as being a difference maker in this league. And the truth is I've yet to consistently see that from them, which in many ways is understandable because they are still an expansion side and they're still finding their feet. But the problem is, is that you know, if, if you're one of the big guns or you believe yourself to be one of the, the big players in this game, you're, you're going to take shots. It's, uh, it is a difficult question. I mean, the idea that Mitch Discord is going to play um, you know, an understudy role doesn't make a lot of sense based on the money you're paying him, his profile within American soccer because of his national team experience, and the fact that he's 24. I mean, you, you want a 24-year-old that you're paying you know, $400,000 to or whatever it is to be a major contributor to your team, Chris. You can't have him on the bench. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, it's not necessarily Mix, who has run hot and cold so far this season, but for a lot of us, what we're concerned about is, is, is exactly a player like, like Poku, who suddenly becomes, uh, you know, a substitute. Suddenly becomes a player who isn't going to get a lot of first team minutes. And what happens to his development? 
Exactly, and I think uh, on the, the the back of that, mixed Discrew didn't move to New York City to be a bench player. Um, he moved there to to play football. I imagine to stay on the the radar of uh, Jurgen Klinsmann as and well. Buy, and buy New York Yankee hats. So you went there for that too. <laughs> yeah, he does like his hats. Um, and I think th- there's no reason he should accept that that bit part role. Again, in the wider context, what happens to Poku? Do you loan him out and and kind of use that infrastructure? They don't have a USL side at the minute, as I understand it. Maybe that's something they need to consider as well. And I think there's a little bit of that with this franchise is that they don't really consider two, three steps ahead. They make a move and then say, okay, now what options have we got? And that's a concern is that there's not that harmony between the the mothership, if you will, and this satellite organization that is New York City FC. And it, it is going to be very difficult for, for Christ. And certainly I can appreciate optimistic fans saying, well, it's great to have options and what have you. It is assuming you've got harmony on the pitch to begin with, and there's, there, there just isn't. Um, and I think as wonderful as Pirlo is, as, as fantastic a player and, and a marketing opportunity as he is, I think you can also allow the competing idea that is this the best move for the club in terms of the squad that they've got at the minute on the football side? Because they do need sporting integrity as much as they need marketing dollars. That's the that's the um, the incredibly difficult balance, especially for a club that's existing within the largest media market in the country and trying to make a mark there. And they've done fantastic work in the in terms of selling tickets and getting people out to to a baseball stadium to watch soccer. Chris, there's no doubt about that. And certainly the signing of David Villa and Frank Lampard and Andrea Pirlo all, all speak to that success or or have a hand in that success. But if you're going to be successful over the long term, you also have to be able to. Uh, bring through players who aren't aren't going to cost you six million dollars a year and can play significant roles in your team. I mean, let's let's just juxtapose what's going on at NYCFC, and it's not fair because they're brand new. But look at what the LA Galaxy are doing. They're bringing in Steven Gerrard. They're signing Giovanni dos Santos, but they've also got a host of young players. Their young players just put on an impressive display in the second half against Barcelona the other night down in the uh, just uh, in the same market. The Red Bulls had their reserve players and some USL players uh, beat Chelsea um, uh, on Wednesday. Th- these things, uh, that's sort of what you should be pushing for at the same time, and you have to find the balance. I, 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 don't, I guess this is why I'm not being paid to make those decisions, Chris. <laughs> well, what I would say is in, in relation to, to LA Galaxy, certainly New York City FC, I think, do need a, a USL team or some kind of development situation quickly. And I think the, the club will look to to do that sooner I think if they've got any common sense about them. equally I think they need to be looking to Europe at the likes of Sebastian Leger Mark Pelosi these kind of young Americans who now want to come home because I think they've got enough talent I think they've had a good education at these clubs and they're ready to contribute uh, and I think if you look at just within the, the same city depending on how you view it New York Red Bulls look at how their team dynamic has improved significantly since Thierry Henry and Tim Cahill left. Now, on paper, you would say that's a significantly weaker team because it doesn't have Henry, it doesn't have Cahill. But actually, under Jesse Marsh, I think the team's got better. I think they play better football. And I would personally tip them to get further this year than they were likely to had Henry and Cahill stayed. So that's some of the, the kind of pressing issues that I think New York City FC need to address. Because as well, I've spoken to, to guys like Aleko Askandarian, people like this who always tell me 
New Jersey, New York has so much talent in terms of soccer. You know, Alec used to tell me the story of how uh, he and his teammates were up there would sit and try and devise the best team from New Jersey, uh, kind of the best 11 guys, you know, how they would play, all that kind of stuff. And because it is also a, a very much a, a melting pot culturally as a city with a host of different nationalities, there's a, a likelihood that you are going to have a lot of different kinds of talent in there. And so they need to, to kind of jump on that and make the most of that because I think, if I'm honest, New York Red Bulls have, have slipped a little bit on that. They had the, the head start in terms of being the first team there and they didn't make the most of it. I think you're starting to see a little bit of it, obviously, this week with the, the team beating Chelsea and what have you, but there's still more to be taken from that. And I think the fact that New York City are arriving a little bit late to the party means that they've really got to state their claim quickly and get things up. And if anything, use the, the City Football Group and more importantly Manchester City's assets and what have you for a, a real positive this time. We've seen a lot of the, the negatives, you know, the, the fact that Soriano is making a good portion of the decisions, the fact that Lampard stayed at Manchester City when he should have been at New York. Now use that link for a benefit and say, look, we've got a link to a huge club in Europe. We can send you there to train. We can, you know, genuinely help you progress as a young soccer player. So if you come here, you're not just getting the benefit of being with one of the best clubs in, in Major League Soccer. You're also linked to arguably one of the best clubs in Europe, if not the world. Yeah, it's uh, something to watch there for New York City FC as they develop it now. Andrea Pirlo joins. By the way, I don't expect you to have uh, any insight on this particular rumor, Chris, but last night I came across a story out of Australia that said Adelaide United head coach Josep Gombau, a, a Spaniard, is reportedly has left that club and is reportedly joining NYCFC in what capacity nobody seems to know. So that bears watching as well. Yeah, I, I believe it was a, a called a higher role. Um, I'd be amazed if they really got rid of Christ. I can't see um, it either. No, I, I think that would be the ultimate kind of right. gut punch to that guy, yeah. given the the you know the pelters he's taken and and what have you. I would imagine if it's perhaps on the technical side, maybe alongside Claudio Reyna, something like that, working mm -hmm. with him on identifying talent and what have you. Yeah, um, they, uh, Trevor is telling me that he thinks it's likely an academy role. He says he worked, uh, that, that Gumbau worked at uh, La, Mas La Masia uh, previously. So that, that, may, that may play a role here. Exactly. I think that's, and if anything, good. That's a good kind of you know, first step in terms of they're starting to realize that they, they do need to, to uh, nurture that young talent, identify that young talent and bring it into the first team squad because I think teams across the board now are starting to realise that actually you really do need to start supplementing your team with uh, young players if you're going to get the best of them. There's there's not a million and one opportunities to sign a player like Fabian Castillo or Mauro Diaz. It's better if you can get someone like Sebastian Leger who again doesn't count as an international because he's an American citizen maybe has international prospect with the U.S. men's national team, depending on how he goes. And then equally, I, I believe, is, is from the, the region as well. So knows the, the club and what have you and has that identity with them as well. So, again, it's, it's about identifying that talent. I think in the wider kind of context of this, MLS clubs in general need to scout better. Yes, um, right. There's very few with their own kind of divisions, very few who actually employ a full-time member of staff to scout. And I think... You know, if you're talking about growing this league, that's somewhere you need to really do it because a lot of the time I'm hearing that it's a case of an agent puts a player to a club yeah. rather than a player goes out, uh, excuse me, a club goes out and finds a player. And I think for me, that's the best talent identification is when you go and find the player because if you're constantly being brought someone, you can make 
almost anyone look fantastic yeah, with four-minute YouTube clips. It does seem that the scouting has um, has brought up the rear a bit for, for MLS in terms of priorities, and, and there's there's something, there's a reason for that in terms of the expense that actually that actual good scouting can, can be for a, for a club and for a league. They may use a pool of scouts that, that can only go so far, particularly when you're talking about uh, the different needs for different clubs. It, it, that's probably a discussion for a different day. Christian, I'm going to let you go. Chris Hernandez Hernez, Hernez from uh, 442 and Guardian and all over the place, uh, CNN. Go follow him on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Chris, appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend. We'll have that scouting debate another time. Thanks for there having we go. me. Let's, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you on a Friday. Any of that, anything else, third place game, who cares, right? We'll talk about that. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning on a Friday. The phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. It's Friday. Friday means people get lazy. Don't be lazy. Call me up. Let's talk about things. Let's talk about the U.S. men's national team. Let's talk about what tomorrow means, if anything. Does it mean anything? You have a couple, you have a bunch of, of, of storylines and subtexts and all this stuff going on. The United States disappointed by losing to Jamaica, falling flat in a tournament they typically own or at least make the final in, missing out an opportunity to play Mexico for the Gold Cup trophy, missing out on any positive feelings coming out of the summer. They have to go play a third place game and they're putting a brave face on it. But no, you know nobody really cares. They're disappointed. How do you play a third-place game when your baseline for success in this tournament is the championship? Meanwhile, on the other side, you've got a Panama team that really can't be motivated. They're angry. They're upset. They feel wronged. It's a travesty of a shamakery, or whatever that word is. How could they possibly be up for a third? In fact, I wonder if this is going to be a dangerous match for some people. 
because if I'm Panama, I'm you know I, if I can't get Mexico again, if I if I can't do you know if I can't get to Mark Geiger, who I'm out at, I guess I'll go kick the Americans around for ninety minutes. What kind of what kind of lineup does Klinsman even play? Roberto, Connecticut, on the air. What's up? Is it just a coincidence that you scheduled the um, rabble for Barcelona Manchester United the same time as the third place match? I know that's not true. I'm just asking. You know, I didn't realize the third base place match was happening at that time, and I also did not have expectations that the Americans would be in the third place match, Roberto. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. I'm dealing with that. What's uh, <laughs> What else is on your mind here? Um, I'm just wondering. You were talking to Kristen about possibly Ronaldo going to Manchester United, but I think I was reading something on... Um, I believe it was Le Keep in France, um, talking about possibly Ibrahimovic being the surprise striker for um, Manchester United. And if that's the case, how do you feel about Di Maria possibly going to PSG? Well, I mean, uh, Di Maria would uh, be a great pickup for PSG. Uh, it, did, it wasn't exactly the what you expected or what you wanted out of him at Manchester United. And there may be a couple of reasons for that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's an incredibly talented player. As for Zlatan going in the other direction, I mean, if I'm a United fan, I'm not sure I'd want that. He's incredibly talented. He's amazing. He can score amazing goals. He's he has such an influence when he's on the field. But that's where I might worry. Like, isn't the shouldn't shouldn't you as Louis Van Hall puts his team together? Shouldn't the goal to be to put together a, a a team that can go win the title back and and win the Champions League and and be Manchester United rather than have? I mean, you know. I don't know. I just think you invite controversy to a team that probably doesn't need it right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can't deny the fact that they have loads of talent on that team considering the new incorporations that they got over the summer. I mean, look, I love, I love Zlatan, and I would love to see Zlatan in my team or in my league or whatever. I mean, I, I don't, I, I really don't make any excuses for my unabashed man crush on Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but I do know that the guy can be disruptive. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Um, are you going to be watching the preliminary draw tomorrow morning? Uh, what time does that draw happen? Because it's in Russia, probably 11 early. 11 a.m. Right? 11 a.m. Yeah, well, I'll probably watch. I mean, because if you look at it, um, the you have the UEFA draw, which is the big, you know, that's the big one. That's the, that's the major headline. But there's also the CONCACAF third round draw, which is Jamaica, Haiti, El Salvador, Canada, Guatemala, and Antigua and Barbuda on one side in one pot and the other pot St. Vincent and the Grenadines Belize Aruba Nicaragua Curacao and Grenada so <laughs> big matchups happening there <laughs> you got South America as well what's uh yeah the South American draw I'm sure, obviously that's part of this this is um well I mean they, they play the what, what's the what do you mean in terms of South America because they play round robin all 10 countries right yeah, but this time it's different because unlike previous qualifying tournaments where the fixtures were predetermined, they're going to be determined by draw. Ah, so in the the order of the fixtures will be determined by the draw? Is different. that what you're Yeah, it'll be different than it was in the last few qualifications. Interesting. All right, I'm actually pulling up an article on this right now at Conmobile's website. Uh, let's see. Um, the road to 2018 will be set out for five of the six confederations. <laughs> On July 25th, when the preliminary draw takes place, uh, the draw show will begin. South American Zone will consist of 10 teams competing for four and a half places. The teams will place, be placed in one group and will play each other on a home and away basis uh, between October 2015 and October 2017, with the match 
the match schedule agreed in St. Petersburg. Um, all right. I mean, I, I, I guess I understand what you're saying, Roberto. That's an interesting twist. Go ahead. Yeah, it's different than it was in the last 20 years. Yeah, the right. Same thing for the last 20 years. Really. Right. All right. Well, let's, it definitely bears watching. You got any thoughts, um, on what Klinsman will do tomorrow and how that third place match might go down? I want to see Yarbrough start. Okay. I want to see Yarbrough start. Captai Yarbrough. That's uh, job number one. If you have a game that means nothing, just go ahead and get that guy exactly. captain. Appreciate the call, uh, Roberto. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, no problem. Have a good weekend. There he goes. Let's uh, let's talk to uh, my man Eddie in New York. What's up, Eddie? And he's gone. So we'll. I may have clicked the uh, wrong button on Eddie. Eddie, call back. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Bill in New York. You're on the air. Oh, that's perfect timing, Jason, because Eddie's going to call right after I finish talking to you right now. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie, call back. Sorry, I really did hang up on Eddie by accident. Go ahead, Bill. I want to talk about the refs this week, and it seems so simple to me. I don't know why nobody's ever even, why this isn't done now. Say robots. Two refs on the field. Say robots. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Two two refs is is two, look, and I know, I, I agree for the most part, Bill. Now, I'm the type of person that wants to see this stuff um, work in practice before I really jump on board. Like, I, th- when it comes to people who stream for instant replay, I go, okay, sh- show me a system that doesn't disrupt the game too much, and maybe I'll jump on board. The same thing goes for two referees. I think it makes a lot of sense on paper, but when you consider, you know, com- things perhaps coming together, I mean, I, you know, where do you draw the line? How, how do they work in partnership? You'd have to work out a new system because these guys are taught from the very beginning, from the very start of their careers as referees, that they are the authority. How do you then share that authority? Well, this week I'm watching the game, and the one ref is in the middle of the play. He's always in the middle, and he's diving out of the way of balls. Balls are going between his legs. I saw twice this week that he was getting pushed out of the way by players. Now, if you have two refs, you have one on the front of the play, one on the back of the play, and you have the assistants on the side. You have everything covered, and now this ref isn't running around like a lunatic up and down the entire field. And at the end of the game, when he makes a bad call, maybe because he's exhausted, yeah. it doesn't happen. Okay. I, I, again, it I think it's so simple to me. It's a system worth considering. I, I got to go back and look because it's come up before, and it's always been shot down. And I'd love to know why it's been shot down. I have to go back and look at the reasons, but it, it's definitely something we should talk about, Bill. Now, if I could throw one thing out to really get Eddie going. The uh, Mexico Costa Rica game where it ended on that awful call. We all know it was an awful call, and I wanted Costa Rica to win, but they didn't deserve to win that game. Wow. They were outplayed okay. the entire game. If that would have came down to penalty kicks <clears throat> and Costa Rica would have won, that would have been a bigger disgrace. I don't know. No, 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 no. It would not have been a bigger disgrace because it would have gone to a natural conclusion that happens within the accepted uh, parameters of the laws of the game, et cetera, and so forth. I mean, yeah. Mexico was better than Costa Rica, but Mexico didn't score. I mean, let's not act like because you have more of the ball and you pass it around and you create chances, that means you deserve to win the game. You deserve to win the game when you put the ball in the back of the net, Bill. They didn't put the ball in the back yeah. of the net. And and so and I and therefore I mean I I don't know how much credit you want to give to Pinedo or sorry, um to uh Alvarado. I don't know how much credit you want to give to Costa Rica's defenders, I don't know, you know, their midfield and, and maybe just keeping Mexico on their toes a bit. I realize that when you have a bunch of shots, it just assumed that this team is so much better or they deserve to win. I, I just don't like the, I don't like the phrasing there 
Mexico is the better team on the night, but that doesn't mean they deserve to win. I think I have more of a problem with just coming down to penalty kicks. I can't stand okay. it. All right, fair it enough. to Red Bulls this week with Philly. Yeah, yeah, it did, and that sucked. <laughs> it, but it put, was a killer. put the ball in the back of the net, Bill. Put the ball in the back of the I, net. Jason, great week this week. Right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. There goes Bill in New York and stuff. Him in. All right, let me uh, make amends with uh, with Eddie up in New York. What's up, Eddie? American soccer fan trying to tell me that we wouldn't have deserved it, but if one of those scores and y'all go to penalties against Belgium, then y'all win them. Yeah, by the way, by the way, anybody, you know, we've been talking about Klinsman this week for obvious reasons. Anybody who throws at me, he almost got us to the quarterfinals if Wando had only put away that chance. I'm sorry. Did you watch that game? Look, the United States would have deserved to win if they had put the ball in the back of the net more than Belgium. They didn't do that. But if we're talking about who was the better team across the entire 120 minutes, there is zero question. They were bombarded. Tim Howard made how many saves? 17 saves or something insane like that? Sorry. Yeah, go something ahead. ridiculous like that. Go, go ahead, Eddie. Um, so, yeah, I had Foman on yesterday, right? And yeah. you were trying to say that if Mexico wins this, this cup, that it would be a travesty? Well, and I just... What was his reasoning? I, uh, yeah, I don't remember. Just because... Just because the United States has won previous uh, tournaments with the help of the referees, and he pointed to 2007 and the offside call against Canada in the semifinal. Uh, did he forget that more than two people played in this tournament? <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> you know, like if 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 he was to walk down the streets of Panama and try and lay that excuse down, what do you think they're going to say to him? Uh, if he was to walk down the streets of Costa Rica and tell him, oh no, Mexico deserves to win this because the U.S. got a goal in 2007 against Canada that they didn't deserve. So it's okay. <laughs> well, behind that. I think this whole tournament, I mean, this whole tournament, I mean, let, let's be honest about it. Eddie, and look, I don't think you're going to refute what Bill said about Mexico being the better team in, in the quarterfinals, but, you know, if Costa Rica had, you know, if, if Costa Rica had scored more, then they would have deserved. If they got into penalties and hit more yeah. in, then they deserve to win. I mean, I, that's, that's where deserve is for me. We can recognize who's a better team. But then again, the point of the game is to score goals. If you don't do that, then don't talk to me about deserve. Um, yeah, really, yeah. That, but that, but that, say, go say ahead. That, that, that it's not a travesty. If Mexico wins this thing, it's going to be an absolute travesty. Well, okay, I'm kind of rooting for it. So, but it this, is, this is what I'm saying. The only way you want to change. Well, okay, yeah, you, you want to see the world burn because it may, it may actually fix something or it may actually spur some some people to get a little bit more upset, and maybe that pushes it down the road. I will say this. This tournament has been a disaster from the very beginning. Um, you know, the... The group stages were okay, but there was there was not great play. There were some there were some problems in that uh, in that portion of the tournament too. But since the knockout rounds have started, it's been an absolute disaster. And you know we are talking about a tournament that is supposed to be the best Concacaf has to offer. I mean, if it's if it's the championship, you're supposed to be putting on the best possible show. And not only has the play been lacking, the finishing been lacking. Not only have we seen Violent play, ugly play. We've had bad refereeing and we've had controversy and we've had flat out. We've had teams so upset over the way things have gone that they've, uh, they've gone after referees. We've seen, uh, you know, Panama with the, the sign, Ladrones in the locker room. I mean, these things make CONCACAF look like a joke. And if, and if, if, I mean, I care. I don't know if the people who run the, the, the Confederation care, Eddie, but I care. I, I genuinely don't. I never did, and I'm just waiting for, for the qualifying. <laughs> well, but the problem. Okay, well, I'm not going to go into all of that. Do you? Uh, w- all right, here. Let me give you two options, Eddie. I'm going to put this on the table for you before I get to Washington. I might, I might lose you in some way. Just like, all right. Well, real quick, uh, would you rather see the Gold Cup 
True, uh, sir, I don't even know if I have two options for you. I was going to say, would you shed a tear if they killed off the Gold Cup? I lost him. All right. So no no answer to that question from Eddie. I don't think he would. Let's check in with Washington up in NYC. What's going up? What's going on, Washington? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going, Mitch? It's, uh, it's, it's a cavalcade <laughs> of stars today. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I want to talk about Pirlo for, uh, in, in a second. Before I do, there's something I was talking about a friend of mine last night. Um, have you heard about uh, Panama's considering protesting the third place or whatever and not showing up or not playing? Did you, did you happen to hear about that? Uh, look, I, I've, seen, uh, I've seen a story referencing Panama being upset and there being some notion that they may boycott but i think the sanctions they would face would be too massive i think they're gonna <clears throat> right i think I, and i agree with you i agree i don't, I don't think that that's gonna happen but if it does and this is the thing we were discussing yesterday if it does how does that play out does the u.s have to show up in formation and the ref have to blow the whistle in order for the forfeit to happen do, do they have to take the field yeah i think so because somebody said no they actually have to score if the if the uh the ref plays the whistle the guy actually you know a u.s player has to take the ball into no, the goal I don't think so. and score and that's the I don't think so. No, no, no. No, no, no. Do you have no. any idea how that works? I think no. I think if as long as the United States is on the field ready to play, if Panama doesn't show, then then the United States gets awarded. Isn't the um, isn't the forfeit scoreline a two zero scoreline? Yeah, it's a two nothing. Yeah, score it's a two line yeah. scoreline. So I think that that would just that's what would happen. There wouldn't be need to be a goal scored. By the way, I I I, I talked about what what Klinsman does with his team, and people said, okay, well, you might as well cap tie Yarborough. You know, hell, play all the kids, whatever kids you have in your team, play them all. I mean, I haven't looked through the roster. But you need to play guys who haven't played. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, play whatever, play the weirdest, wackiest team you want. I do not care. I hope, I actually hope that Panama comes out and throws out, you know, an entirely reserved lineup as well as whatever, whatever Gomez has at his disposal. Yeah. Well, my original question was this. Do you think, Pirlo, you know, Pirlo's, uh, you know, had the press conference yesterday for NYCFC, and uh, do you think he plays on Sunday? And if he does, is that way too soon? I mean, there's no way he could have known the team. No, you know, I you get, get to know the team, he had one practice. So what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, you put, I think you have him on the bench. He's not really a guy you would think of as some sort of late substitution to make a difference, but you put him on the bench, and depending on how the last 10 minutes are going, you throw him on just to get him a run out in front of the crowd. I think that's what yeah, you do. Cool. I mean, I, I don't think yeah. you're right. He's, he can't possibly know his teammates. Although the the skill set that Andrea Pirlo brings to the field, he might not, not he might not have to. I mean, you know, when we're picking out, he's a human being. Come on, man. Well, he no, has no, no, to sure. be more than one. Sure. No, no, no. I, I to be effective over a course of ninety minutes, absolutely. But here's the thing about Andrea Pirlo: you could throw him into that game, you could put him on the field, and he could find I don't know McNamara on a forty yard ball. Uh, uh, yeah, into, into space behind the Orlando defense, and, and it would be magical for that in that moment. Um, he could hit a free kick and wow the crowd in that moment. But does that mean he's the best thing for the team on Sunday? No, probably not. Yeah. Right. Thanks a lot, man. All right, man. Appreciate the call. There goes uh, Washington up in NYC. 646-832-3909 is the phone number if you want to jump in here on a Friday, the last couple of minutes of the show, the last couple of minutes of the week here on uh, Soccer Morning on uh, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Before I run, and I will run here in just a minute, I wanted to hit this. This is an additional story coming out of the Panama camp. This is a statement issued by the Panama Football Federation. Considering the insulting and shameful, shameful officiating during the Gold Cup, specifically against Panama to favor Mexico in a vulgar and blatant way, we are demanding the removal of the entire CONCACAF referee committee. They posted this at their Federation website. 
What happened on Wednesday in the semifinal versus Mexico was the straw that broke the camel's back in a situation that has been repeated since the first match our team has played in the group phase. The statement read, Every, Everything is designed so that Mexico and the United States get to the final. This is from Julio Cesar Deli Valdez, former head coach. This was not human error. There's a lot of contamination and clean, cleansing is needed. A lot of things come to mind. I was calm because we were going to have an American referee, and normally they are very proper. After the match, well, everything is tainted. Who do I blame? The referee? CONCACAF who? It's a complex subject. I don't understand what happened yesterday. Uh, we'll see what, hap- what the fallout is here. Panama is not one of the big dogs in CONCACAF through no fault of their own. I mean, it's a good team. It's a solid, a solid federation, but they don't have the pull. Uh, we'll see if they're able to force CONCACAF into some changes, and I don't think the referee committee is going to resign or anything like that. All right. Thank you very much for your attention on a Friday. Enjoyed it. We'll talk to you guys. Thanks to Chris Hanez as well. Uh, join us over on Sirius XM FC 94 for two more hours of this. Fun times, guys. Third place match. Go USA. See you then. Bye.